Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and co-hosting with me today is Samantha Asheris, our Daily Signal senior news producer, my friend and colleague. Hey, Sam. Hey, Virginia. Thanks so much for having me. It's yeah. great to be here. I love having you back. Well, you know, I think it's it's really hard in many ways to believe, and I guess this happens every year, but today is December 1st, which wow. is like, what the heck? How I know. How did we get here? So it's wild. It is wild. I feel like we were just, I know, I probably say this every year and everyone says this, but I feel like we were just celebrating Christmas. <laughs> yeah, really though. Well, it's, Christmas is 25 days away. Whew, no, no stress, no pressure. Yeah. Sam, do you all do advent calendars in your household? We do. Okay. So my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Um, he loves advent calendars. Um, ever since we started dating, he, you know, has has been really big on advent calendars. Um, he sends them out to our whole family. So it's not just like we get one. He like sends them to my parents really? and my, my like brother and my sister and my brother-in-law, um, his whole side of the family. So we all have like the same advent calendar. That's so sweet. Um, I don't know if anyone else like does it but like we do it um what kind of advent calendars is it like the ones where you get chocolate or is it more uh traditional than that or well we did try the chocolate one Uh so he had ordered one off of amazon and we like opened it early because we were thinking okay if we're gonna send this to people we have to make sure that the chocolate's good um the one we got wasn't the best uh I don't even know what it was like, what brand or whatever, but uh, we're just going to stick to the traditional, just like open it for for each day. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And then my one of my good friends actually was over a few weeks ago and she got my dog an advent (laughs) calendar. So now every day leading up to Christmas, he'll be able to open that. And he's living his best life. He is living his best life. Um, Christmas dog. Yeah. So he'll get like treats and I don't know if there's toys, but there's definitely treats. So. You're making me want to get a real advent calendar. So mm-hmm. I, I have a pillow where okay. it has a little, it has like all 25 days and a little pocket for each day and it has a candy cane that you move from day to day. Okay. Um, so that's the closest thing I have to an advent calendar. But now I'm like, hmm. Yeah, well, we can send you one. one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hello, John. I need an advent calendar. I'm joining the Asheris family. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, we're going to talk a a little bit more uh, Christmas conversation later on in the show, but we have quite a few stories to hit first. So, Sam, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up on today. Yes. Well, on today's Problematic Women, we explain what is happening in China with protests over COVID-19 lockdowns and why protesters are holding up white pieces of paper. Plus, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments for a critical free speech case today that involves a graphic designer and could affect all Americans who hold to a traditional view of marriage. Also on today's show, the fashion brand Balenciaga used sexually suggestive pictures of children in a recent ad campaign. We break down what happened and why Kim Kardashian is coming under fire amid the scandal. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a reading on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And encourage others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. 
Protests broke out in China last weekend over their severe COVID-19 lockdown measures. Protests like these, they have not been seen in China in decades. The protests were spurred at least in part by a building fire that led to the death of at least 10 people. Some outlets have been reporting that there were maybe 40 or more people mm -hmm. who were killed. Sam, I know you reported on the Daily Signal podcast that the reason here was that there were so many blockades kind of yes. as COVID protocols that were set up in front of this building that fire trucks were not able to get in to put the fire out. So, I mean, this is just such a tragic situation. And now the people in China are saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. So, Sam, China is your beat. You report extensively on China and what's happening on China. What, at the end of the day, do these protesters mm -hmm. want? Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, there was a fire last week, last Thursday, November 24th, at an apartment building in Urumqi, which is in the Xinjiang region of China. We talked about this on the Daily Signal podcast, but this is the region where Uyghur Muslims are being mm. detained. So people came out after that fire. It really sparked, not even just within China, but also these global protests. Um, I actually attended a candlelight vigil on Monday that I think we're going to talk about later about honoring the victims mm -hmm. that were, were killed in this fire and also the other people that were injured. I also interviewed Michael Cunningham. He's a research fellow here at Heritage and he talked about like the protests were sparked by this fire, but he told me that there's also a lot of anger about mm -hmm. the zero COVID policies that China has been pursuing for about the, you know, the last three years now and just the erosion, he tells me, of individual freedom especially since Xi Jinping came to power. He just secured another five-year term last mm. month. Wow. And Michael Cunningham was telling me that, you know, there's this concern and this feeling of desperation for people living in China. So it's been really interesting to see these protests going on. Pretty significant because even on Monday, we heard people calling for Xi Jinping to be removed from power and then also the CCP to be, you know, taken down. Yeah. So well, and you see that desperation that I mean, these are people that they know the risks that they're taking when they go Absolutely. out onto the streets, that their their lives could be mm -hmm. lost, literally lost, because they're choosing to stand up for freedom. They know that they're putting often family, friends at risk as well. I mean, this is high stakes mm -hmm. for these individuals. And one of the really kind of sobering images that we're seeing in these protests and powerful images is protesters holding up white pieces of paper. Yes. Explain what exactly that's about. Why are they doing that? In reporting on this, I've noticed that a lot of as, as you were saying, you know, these protesters are holding up these white signs. And Axios reports that these blank signs that were actually previously displayed during the Hong Kong protests back in, in 2020, and even earlier this year with the demonstrations in Russia against the invasion of Ukraine, they, they represent, as, as one protester told Reuters, they represent everything we want to say but cannot say. Mm. And something that also was said during my interview with Michael Cunningham, and he was explaining that they're basically protesting the fact that they can't say anything. Anything they write on that paper could be seen as, as going against the government. They could be thrown in jail. And something that I thought was shocking was a really interesting takeaway from, from something that Michael said was even not writing anything on that paper can result in them going to jail. So wow. not even saying anything, just holding up that white piece of paper. We saw a few people on Monday also holding up just blank pieces of paper. Some people had something written on it, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's really sobering to see. And you see it all throughout the world too with different people protesting on their behalf. 
Well, and like you mentioned, it's been cool to see the solidarity Mm -hmm. that across cities all over the world, people are saying, no, we're going to stand with China. And even as protests are literally being totally shut down in China Mm -hmm. and individuals are no longer able to protest as much as they did over the weekend, we're seeing across the world, people are saying, no, 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 we're going to stand with you. So Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., you went to one of these vigils. Who did you talk with there? What, What did you learn? Yeah, so when I attended this protest on Monday, I was able to talk to a few different people, and one protester there was explaining that he's from the region, Urumqi, where the fire occurred that killed at least 10 people, injuring at least nine others. Obviously, could have resulted in more deaths. Uh, we, we don't know as of right now. And he was telling me that his ex-wife and his daughter are still there, and then he also told me that his mom and his two brothers, as well as other members, were sentenced up to 10 and 15 years in prison just Mm. because they're related to him. And Mm. and he's been a very outspoken person in terms of human rights. He's been speaking to the media. So he was telling us that they were arrested. And then also, too, there was another protester named Chen who was telling us that his families are back in China and they're under lockdown as of Sunday and explaining that if anybody in their entire apartment complex, so not even just like individual apartments, the entire complex. If anybody tests positive, everything shut down. They're under lockdown. Wow. And he was really just expressing this deep concern and worry that he doesn't know if, if they can get the essentials that they need, food, running water, if they'll have running water. Here in America, it's like the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we obviously we're living our lives. Are, we're just living our lives. Like, and it's really shocking and sad to see but i do think when we see these protests across the globe and not just isolated in china it's hopefully going to result in something but Mm -hmm. i guess we'll see yeah you have to stay optimistic yeah and it's it's awesome to see that people are standing in solidarity yeah Uh, but daunting when you think about the number Mm -hmm. of changes that really need to take place Mm -hmm. in China. Um, And I mean, what what is happening in China is such a reminder that freedom isn't free, that it's Mm -hmm. fought for. And even after it's won, that fight to preserve freedom continues. Um, And there's actually there's one such fight for our First Amendment rights that's taking place at the Supreme Court on Monday. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you the facts on the issues that matter most, from the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between She Thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for that next episode to drop. You can listen to podcast episodes at iwf.org, or you can just search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Well, free speech is under fire, and the Supreme Court, they have the opportunity to defend it. Joining Sam and I on the show now to discuss this, among a few other things, is Bernadette Tacey, who works for the Christian legal organization Alliance Defending Freedom. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Virginia. So, you know, when when we talk about 
free speech cases, one of the big ones, of course, that comes to mind is that of Jack Phillips. And for all of our listeners, you might know that name. You might be familiar with Jack Phillips and his story. He's that Christian baker out in Colorado who was sued because he refused to bake a custom wedding cake for a same-sex couple for their wedding. And his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. He won that case. But the ruling was made in such a way that it really only applied to Jack Phillips. And it was so narrow, in fact, that Jack Phillips has been taken back to court really on the same issue. Now, a name you may or may not have heard is Lori Smith. Lori Smith is a graphic artist in Colorado. She saw what happened to Jack Phillips and did not want to be in the same position of being asked to violate her religious views or risk losing her business. So Lori decided to file a preemptive lawsuit against a Colorado law that could be used to force her to create a custom wedding website for a same-sex couple. So on Monday, the Supreme Court will hear arguments from an Alliance Defending Freedom attorney for Lori's case. And Lori actually, she joined the Daily Signal podcast about a month ago. And I want to just play a, a quick clip from that conversation because I asked her, I said, you know, why, why is it worth it to you to take so much time, so much energy and to fight for your right to free speech, for your right to protect and preserve your religious convictions? And this is what she told me. The right to speak freely is worthy of protecting. Hmm. It's worthy of protecting for myself, yes. But I, as I take a step back, I recognize that the implications of what the court will weigh in on here in several weeks impact so many. It impacts those that oppose my views on marriage. It impacts those that would agree with me. But the ruling in this case will also impact future generations so Bernadette, you work for Alliance Defending Freedom. You know this case well. What exactly is the Supreme Court deciding in Lori's case? Well, this is a case about free speech. It's about an artist who wants to be free to say certain messages that align with her beliefs and who doesn't want to be forced by the government to speak a message that she doesn't believe in. And as your colleague just said right now, after realizing that Colorado was censoring her and after seeing Colorado use the same law to punish Jack Phillips, she challenged that law to protect her freedom and her art studio. And a couple of things I want to mention, um, I do want to clarify that, first of all, I'm, I'm not an attorney, so I can't provide any sort of legal analysis <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> um, of, the, of the two cases of Jack's case or of Lori's case. I do want to say that Jack's case was broad in a lot of ways. The ruling was broad in a mm. lot of ways. It set precedent. It said a lot of great things about free speech in that decision, and that can help even his current case right now. He's undergone litigation for almost 10 years now, and now Lori is picking up the torch and making sure that free speech is protected in our country. Mm. Now, for Alliance Defending Freedom, what goes into taking a case like this before the Supreme Court? Well, there, there has been a lot of preparation involved in this, but one thing is that Lori has such a great story. She left the corporate design world to start her own small business in 2012 so that she could use her skills to promote causes that are consistent with her faith, with her beliefs, and so that she could be free to create, to be an artist. And Colorado law is censoring what she wants to say and requires her to create designs that violate her beliefs about marriage specifically. So if she wants to create wedding websites 
for weddings between one man and one woman, she is forced to do so also for weddings between same-sex couples. And again, this case is about free speech. And one thing I, I do want to mention is that the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals which ruled against Lori, and that's the, the court that comes right before going up to the Supreme Court, uh, the Tenth Circuit agreed that Lori's work is speech, that her websites are speech, and that she works with all people, including those that identify as LGBT, but they say that Colorado can compel her speech anyway. Mm. Wow. You know, I think one thing that has struck me, Bernadette, is when I've met Lori, she's so sincere, and you wouldn't, I guess, no, just kind of passing her on the street or maybe striking up a conversation with her at the grocery store or whatever, that she was a person that decided, okay, I'm going to put really in many ways kind of my my life on hold in some aspects for an extended period of time and have the courage to take this fight all the way to the Supreme Court. She's just such a, a down-to-earth person. And so it, it's neat to see someone that I think is saying not only am I going to take this fight to the court because I don't want to be forced to violate my views or have my free speech violated, but you really feel like she's doing it with future generations in mind, which I really respect and admire that I think she's thinking about what is this going to be like for people in the creative space 10, 20 years down the road? Like this is an issue that has to get settled. And, and like you said with Jack Phillips, it, it got a, a little bit settled, but there was still more that needed to be hammered out and fleshed out to where individuals who hold to a traditional view of marriage needed to make sure that they could operate in the creative space and not be forced to violate their religious views. You know, I, I know that, like you just talked about, so much goes into these cases. And of course, it's really impossible to know how the justices are going to rule. Don't have a magic ball to know that. But how optimistic is is the whole team at Alliance Defending Freedom? And, and even if you've talked to Lori, you know, how optimistic are they that there's going to be a positive outcome in this case? You know, we're very hopeful that we're, we're going to have a positive outcome in this case. And I, I hope that Americans are making the connection with broader issues of free speech, like you were just mentioning, for those that are, are going to be facing issues similar, that may be facing issues similar to this one down the line. This isn't just about Lori. This isn't even just about artists like Lori. But we also need to be thinking about free speech for the student on a college campus, mm. uh, someone who wants to spread the pro-life message, for, for the, the firefighter who writes about his faith and values in his personal free time. We had two cases on that, two different firefighters that, that faced free speech issues. And for others who simply want to express their faith or views in the public square. And you're absolutely right. Lori is such a devoutly uh, Christian individual. She is so devoted to her faith. And that's, that's how we live out our faith. You live out your faith in the public square by making it a part of everything you do, not by keeping it to yourself. Mm, yeah. Well, and Lori is just, yeah, she's such a great example of that. So Bernadette, thanks just for sharing a little bit about this case. We're going to be watching it as it continues to unfold. We'll certainly keep all of you all posted on on what happens here because it is so critical for all of us. This is a case that could affect really all Americans, uh, especially those that have their own small businesses, those who work in any capacity in, in the wedding industry or um, who simply want to be able to share their religious convictions without fear 
of repercussions for that. Um, so thanks for breaking that down. And thanks for staying on with us to talk about uh, a couple other important issues. So there's there's a large controversy that has really taken the internet by storm, and rightly so. So I'm talking about the controversy over Balenciaga. If you have not been following this story, we're going to break it down for you. Balenciaga is a high-end fashion brand. Their handbags cost $3,000 or more. That's crazy. Yeah, right. (laughs) That'd be nice to have a handbag. Yeah. Um, I'd probably sell it, honestly, if I had a handbag that was Yeah, well, after this especially. Um, In November, they launched a holiday ad campaign for a teddy bear handbag. Kids were photographed holding the teddy bears, but these were not normal teddy bears. And the set designs the kids were on were definitely not age appropriate. So in one of these ads, the teddy bear is wearing a bondage harness and a choker. You can see wine glasses are on the table in front of the child. Who This child looks to be like four or five at oldest, six years old, I would say. Um, in one of the other ads, the child is holding a bear that's dressed similarly. It has a choker and a large lock hanging from that choker on its neck. The little girl, again, this child looks to be about five years old. She's dressed in all black. And on the wall behind her are what look to be stickers of black dragons. But that's not all. In another unrelated ad campaign for a Balenciaga handbag, an ad showcased the bag tossed on an office desk, laying on top of papers, including what appears to be a 2008 Supreme Court ruling on a child child pornography case. So let's not mince words at all about what this is. This is exploiting children, period. Of course, now what Balenciaga has done, they have pulled the ad, they issued an apology saying that, you know, they're reviewing their design process so that this doesn't happen again. But I don't really buy the fact that they didn't know what they were doing, which was appealing to a pornographic culture to sell a product. That's what they were doing. So I I would be curious to hear from you. I mean, do you think that the higher-ups at Balenciaga saw this ad campaign before it went live? Bernadette, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I mean, I I think this is outrageous. Uh, We're talking about the sexualization and the exploitation of children using them, in this case, to sell products. But in all reality, I'm not sure how surprised we should be because Mm -hmm. we have hospitals and governments that are permitting and encouraging child exploitation. On on the medical side, they're pushing harmful and irreversible procedures. They're being promoted for children. I mean, Michigan just passed a a ballot measure that could be used to allow minors to seek gender transition without their parents even knowing about it. And in the schools, there are some schools that implement policies that require teachers to deceive parents about their child's gender. They call the child by their so-called preferred name and pronouns in front of the children, but They're instructed to hide that information from the parents and use the legal or the birth name and pronouns um, in front of the parents. So I don't know that, I'm not entirely sure what the the motivation was for this whole piece other than sexualization or or exploitation of children. And I'm not entirely sure um, how that works with Balenciaga, but it's clear that something that our culture had prepped for. Yeah. No, I think that's such a powerful point. Uh, I was speaking on Tuesday with someone from the the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and um, she was just kind of breaking down the culture, the pornographic culture that we have in America. And, you know, and some you know some people report that about forty million adult Americans 
are using porn on some sort of regular basis. So it while I'm I'm really glad that Americans are kind of getting up in arms over this, it is a little bit of well what do you expect? Like when you have a culture that is is become really in many ways desensitized to porn and that envelope will always keep being pushed further and further and further until the core root issues are addressed. And I am glad to see that, you know, the hashtag cancel Balenciaga has has been trending. People keep calling for that. But Sam, I mean, people have been they've been canceled for way less than this. Do do we think that there's actually going to be real accountability for Balenciaga in this? Yeah, I mean, that's yet to be seen, obviously. Um, you know, we've seen on Twitter, too, a lot of people questioning why there hasn't been more outrage from celebrities. Uh, I know Kim Kardashian, she models for Balenciaga. It, it, it took her a little under a week, about six days, to issue a statement. Mm-hmm. And she only did so after Candace Owens called her out on it. She actually wrote on Twitter, I have been quiet for the past few days, not because I haven't been disgusted and outraged by the recent Balenciaga campaigns, but because I wanted an opportunity to speak to their team to understand for myself how this could have happened. And she also added that she is reevaluating her relationship with the brand. One thing I wanted to also add was, you know, earlier when we were talking about the higher ups at the company and whether they saw this campaign before it went live. It's hard to tell. Obviously, I don't know the internal workings, sure. but I know, you know, for us, for example, when we write or when we you know, have podcasts, it goes through a couple different layers of approval and, you know, making sure that everything's good before we put something out. Obviously, you're representing a brand and I don't know. I go back and forth because obviously, like, if the higher up saw it, that's like the whole company. But if it mm-hmm. is just a small group of people who are behind this campaign, part of the company, I don't know which is worse. Like, I don't know if that's it's like something, you know, <laughs> flew under the radar of, of this level or that it was like the higher ups that that gave the final approval on this. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to like it's hard to imagine that some people in some pretty high positions mm-hmm. at Balenciaga wouldn't have seen this before yeah. it went out. And I'm I'm glad that you mentioned Kim Kardashian cuz I think that was interesting because mm-hmm. she, you know, she has worn Balenciaga on the red carpet, you know, she's she's a, one of their primary celebrities that pushes mm-hmm. the brand and yet it took her 6 days mm-hmm. to speak out and say anything and she she ultimately said I'm reevaluating my relationship with Balenciaga and it's like um, I, I think I think we might be past just reevaluating yeah. Kim. Yeah. Why why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you really definitively saying this is wrong and I'm not gonna have anything to do with a brand that's literally exploiting mm-hmm. children? I don't know. Bernadette, what do you think? You know, I I do think that one one good thing about this is that there there was a lot of outrage, not not enough, not from mm-hmm. um, enough individuals where we didn't hear enough from celebrities. We didn't hear it quickly enough, but there was a lot of outrage, even just looking on Instagram, even even just looking at what my own friends are are posting and talking about. I think the one good sign about that is that it shined a light on this horrible issue of child exploitation. It's mm-hmm. sparking conversations about the sexualization of children and that we do still have 
respect for children. So even with all of these issues with hospitals and governments pushing this political agenda on children, there was still outrage on this kind of issue. And I'm hoping that that shows us that we still have respect for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like we have to hold on to the encouraging parts and be like, okay, there there is positive movement. We're not too far gone on this issue. We we can do better. And I think like that begins with holding people in power accountable and calling them to say, hey, no, you you know, you you can do better on this. And there are consequences when you don't. I I do think it's humorous that Balenciaga, after Elon Musk took over. Twitter, they were one of, of several companies that have left the platform because, you know, they couldn't stand to be on a platform with Elon Musk and, you know, how dare he allow people <laughs> who have such radical views to say what they think on Twitter. And yet they're out there literally exploiting children for their bottom line. Uh, so, again, I think it's like it's it's up to it's up to the public in many ways to hold these companies accountable. For one, you know, don't shop from them, which I've, I've never shopped at Balenciaga. Yeah. Not at $3,000 no, handbag. <laughs> never will. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but then beyond that, to, to call them out and, you know, even though social media drives me a little bit crazy, it, it is one of the gifts of the modern age is that we have these platforms where now we do all have a platform where we can speak out and we can at certain companies and we can make people aware of what's going on. Because I think the timing of this issue was fascinating because the news broke right before Thanksgiving. And I think that the company, honestly, and people like Kim Kardashian, they were hoping it would just sort of go away over mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. People would forget but they didn't. We will not forget. We will not forget. We will remember. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in, in that sense, it's it's really, it is good to see, Bernadette, like you said, that people are not letting this get swept under the rug. But we have one more conversation that, Bernadette, we want to have with you before we let you go. It's a little bit lighter. So stay with us because up next, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now it is that time once again, our favorite time of the week here on Problematic Women. It is time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week, and the crown goes to... Candace Cameron Burr. So Candace Cameron Burr, she is famous for her role as DJ Tanner in Full House as an adult. She has starred in a lot of Hallmark movies. But Burr recently left Hallmark for the channel Great American Family. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, she said she made this switch because... I knew that people behind Great American Family were Christians that loved the Lord and wanted to promote faith programming and good family entertainment. And when asked if Great American Family had plans to include LGBTQ plus content in movies, Burr said, I think that Great American Family will keep traditional marriage at its core 
And at this, Hollywood lost their minds, which I just find funny that like this is not the first time this has happened, that a, a Christian is pressed on their views of marriage and they say, yes, I hold to a traditional view of marriage or, you know, the company that I'm working for holds to a traditional view of marriage or that's a priority for us to promote that. And the secular world is shocked of how could Christians actually hold to what the Bible says about marriage. And it's just like, wait, guys, like this, this is pretty obvious. Anyway, apparently it's not obvious. Um, why do you all think that this was so surprising for Hollywood, for, for an openly Christian actress to say that, you know, she has, or that even just her company is holding to a traditional view on marriage or that that's a view that they want to promote. I mean, what do you make of this wild reaction against Candace Cameron Burr? I I think I'm going to jump in here. Uh, I want to point out that the title of the Wall Street Journal article sums up the controversy for me. And the Wall Street Journal article is is the article that came out and kind of sparked the mm-hmm. conversation about the controversy with Candace Cameron Burr. It says, Candace Cameron Burr wants to put Christianity back in Christmas movies. And I, I kind of read that as wants to put Christianity back in Christmas. And I think mm-hmm. it's hilarious and sad that we have to point out that Christianity is supposed to be in Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> and I, I, I mean, back to the, the controversy part of it, if if someone like Candace Cameron Burr, uh, beloved and admired as she is, can can face this kind of backlash, surely we will too. Surely other Christians will too. And so I, I really commend Candace Cameron Burr for, for doing this. We should be speaking our values uh, with grace and love mm-hmm. like her. Mm-hmm. Well, I watched her um, her Christmas movie on Great American Family. I don't know if you all saw it, but I I feel like I have a love hate relationship with like Hallmark style movies <laughs> that are the don't holiday we movies. Don't we, all? we do yeah. like they're cheesy, and I always go in like this is going to be so stupid, and then by the end of it, I'm like oh this yeah, is... you can kind of see the plot line, but yeah. you're there for it. Yeah, so... exactly, you're there for yeah. it, and you like you walk away thinking, wow, I kind of just like wasted an hour and a half of my life, but also like I feel light and happy so yeah, maybe exactly. it was worth it exactly <laughs> but I so I will say uh quick quick movie review on her movie which is a Christmas dot 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 present a Christmas present the script I think was a little bit more creative than we see from a lot of these style of movies and I think the since she's the lead actress the acting quality overall was mm-hmm. raised a little bit and as much as I kind of wanted to be like eh, this is dumb I actually like I felt really great when I finished <laughs> watching it. And like I truly like I feel like the Lord used it to bring up some some things in my own heart and in my thoughts about mm-hmm. Christmas and my my attitude towards the Christmas season. All that to say, if you like that style of movie at all, I highly, highly recommend it. If you don't like the style of movie, you know, maybe give it a try, mm-hmm. but I, I won't force anyone to I'll watch endure it. those movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, you know, watching Full House. Well, reruns, I guess, at yeah, that, at that yeah, point. Yeah. But I've always, you know, DJ Tanner. <laughs> DJ Tanner for the win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she has had quite the career. And I, I think it is neat because sometimes mm-hmm. we see those childhood actors, for one, either uh, they don't do very well yes. in life or they just sort of disappear and you think, what mm-hmm. on earth happened to them? So it's been neat to see her um, not only have a full career after being a childhood actress, but hold so tightly to her faith beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, She's still married to the same man that she got married to, I think, when she was only like 19. I could oh, be wow. wrong on that. 
um, but they got married really young. And anyway, good on her. Bernadette, do you are are you a Hallmark movie style? I mean, it feels because it's not like she's left Hallmark for good reason. Um, so, but I don't know what else to call this style of movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm really not. <laughs> I, <laughs> It's very um, fair. <laughs> but I did, I watched the trailer uh, for this movie, and it does seem like the acting is higher quality. And I do want to watch this one, uh, especially because they have the those Christian values included. And uh, I mean, the, I, I think there's a scene in there, at least in the trailer, where they go to church for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're promoting these family-focused and faith-focused values. And that's just something we don't usually see. So I, I, I think it's worth it to to watch that movie so so that we can see those values implemented in a movie in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a huge congrats to Kansas Cameron Burr for being our Problematic Woman of the Week. And Bernadette, thank you for joining us today. This has been so fun having you on. Thank Thank you you so much, Virginia. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. We don't have a Tuesday show on this coming Tuesday, but we'll be back with you all next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week, and we'll see you right back here next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.